All right, glad you're with us. Busy news day today as uh, we have a lot going on. 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. Free speech summit going on at the White House. President executive order on the census question. Well, what is wrong with asking a question that, you know, is has been asked so many, so many times in the past? What is wrong with knowing How many people in this country have come into this country and are here illegally that didn't respect our borders, our laws, our sovereignty, and having that number as a baseline? I mean, I know people throw out numbers all the time, but 11 million, 13 million, 7 million, 8 million, nobody knows. So it'd be an opportunity for America to get to know. There's no better opportunity. We've done it in past census. And the president wants to do it now. I think it's the right thing to do. And the fact that everybody wants to turn this into some type of race issue has nothing to do with race. You know, the president, everyone forgets that he wants to build uh, a wall. But what else did he say with a big door in it? Okay, a big door means that he supports legal immigration, not illegal immigration. And every listen, I don't care where you come from. I really don't. I think, for example, having people, I I like the idea of merit-based immigration, especially for certain sectors, certain fields of endeavor. If, for example, we need more computer programmers or we need more doctors or we need more surgeons or we need more engineers or whatever it happens to be, whatever the field of endeavor happens to be, or maybe we need more laborers to work uh, in different construction jobs or in, in farms around America. Okay, we have opportunities. We can't fill these positions. Absolutely. We, I'm only asking for two things. We, number one, that we check you out and make sure you that you are who you say you are and that you have no intention, no background, no red flags, no indication that you support ideas that are contrary to and contradict our American constitutional system. In other words, that you're here because you want a better life. Okay, once we check you out, we determine you're the person you say you are. There are jobs available for for people. Right now, this, we learned from the Fed that there's 7.5 million unfilled jobs in America today. That's a huge amount of jobs that we've got to fill. And we're virtually at full employment in this country. So if we need laborers or maybe we need doctors or maybe we need mechanical engineers or maybe we need computer programmers, okay, you can make the application. We can expedite the process, which has been burdensome and and takes way too long. You should pay for your own vetting. If you want to be a citizen, you should pay to be vetted. And by vetting, we do a security background check on whoever you happen to be. And the other requirement I would have is that you've got to be able and prove that you will be able to take care of yourself and not rely on the American taxpayers for education, health care, or any other housing, clothing, whatever you might need. I think that's fair because we only have a limited number of available slots at any given time. Sometimes we have more slots than others, and it's highly coveted. And I think it should be given to people that respect our laws, our constitution, our sovereignty, and our border. I don't think it should be given to people that just decide they want to come to America, the hell with our laws, the hell with our borders, the hell with our sovereignty. 
It's really that simple. Knowing who is here illegally, you know, I mean, if we did what Mexico has done up to really recently, Mexico, if you're an illegal immigrant, they would throw you out immediately or even worse, they would throw you in jail for a significant period of time. Now, one of the things that's happened on the border recently is there is a dramatic slowdown in terms of, let's see, an 85% decrease uh, in border apprehensions, the lowest level since March. Now, why did that happen? Because finally the president put his foot down, even though some Republicans, no spine, no backbone. He said, okay, if you don't stop it, Mexico, because you're allowing it to happen, those people coming from El Salvador and Nicaragua Central America are creating migrant caravans and they're marching straight through your country and you're not doing anything and you're supposed to be our friend and neighbor. Normally, your practice has been to return people, but you've decided to let people just walk right on through Mexico, right up to the Mexican border with America. And now we've got a potential crisis going on. Okay, that has to stop. And if it doesn't stop, we're going to slap a tariff on you. And that's what the president has done. And so we'll see. So anyway, the president is going to uh, move forward with the citizenship question. The other thing, this freedom of speech forum on these big tech companies, you got to understand something here. If we don't do that, think of the Project Veritas video and James O'Keefe. What was it, last week or the week before? Two weeks ago. And an undercover video showing the people at Google in a very sophisticated fashion are programming algorithms. Now, we're we're leaving my area of expertise here, so, you know, bear with me a little bit. But what they're doing is controlling content. In other words, they want to control the news that people see when they Google a particular topic. Now, in the one case, what James O'Keefe did, very cleverly, I think, is he said, all right, let's Google Hillary Clinton in emails. Well, Of course, we expect email server, the violation of the Espionage Act and top secret classified information on the secret server. And and of course, the obstruction of subpoenaed emails deleted and bleach bit and the hammers anyway. But it's buried in Google. But you get Donald Trump pops right up. Now, that would be well, frankly, it's propaganda. It's not honest. It's a false a representation of what the truth is on the topic. And I would think Google would want to inform people with the truth, but it's also a campaign donation. When you are dealing with Google and the numbers of people that we have that tap into Google every single solitary day to look up information and you're controlling the free flow of that information, but you're now talking about the ability probably to impact the outcome of a presidential race, a national election. That's a problem because that's the biggest in-kind donation ever. Or the same would go for Facebook or Twitter or any of these high-tech companies if they're controlling data, if they're shadow banning people. If, for example, they set up algorithms that, that reduce conservative content but spread virally liberal content. Well, that's what this high-tech summit's about. A lot going on at the White House. They got the summit. Then on top of that, then they've got 
the issue of the president now moving forward with an executive order as it relates to the census question. How many people are on Google at any given day or hour? Let me look that up for you. I believe you can find that information on Hannity.com. But you tell me that every time, so I assume you have it at your ready. Do you know how many? I, I do, actually. It's uh, 63,000 searches per second. 63,000? How many in a 24-hour day? I'm sorry. Do I do I look like some kind of savant? I thought you said you had it in front of you. The statistics. Stand by. I know one statistic by what? What's one? The sixty-three thousand per second. That's the one you keep asking me. Yeah. Well, that's. The I didn't one know that I was coming to Jeopardy today. Hold on. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Just slow down the show because you're not paying attention. You're in there talking to Blair okay, and Ethan. First of all, do you know what I was just doing for you? What were you I'm doing gonna tell for you, me? I, what, I was just printing out the what? Project Veritas highlights from that video so Thank I could bring you. it into you so you didn't have to try to, you know, scram through your, you know, that cobweb that memory. you call a brain. Thank you. you. Know. The cobweb. Wow. Getting a little... Uh... Hot under the collar in here today. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what's the number? Oh, I was talking. Hold on. What's the number? $3.5 billion. $3.5 billion a day. Searches a day. All right. Now you're going to control the content of that $3.5 billion a day. And if you're controlling the content to advance a political agenda, not another, well, that gives a massive, influential, competitive advantage to one person, one side of the debate. We don't want that. All right. We'll get back to that as the day unfolds. Now, this is getting really interesting because behind the scenes yesterday, Speaker of the House in name only, Nancy Pelosi. Well, it turns out she's telling people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, that if you have a criticism of me, tell me to my face, not on Twitter. Well, every time she calls out the real speaker, the one that is controlling the agenda, well, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC as she is better known, just gives her more of a taste of her own medicine. Anyway, so we thought the spat was bad yesterday, and it got a lot nastier last night after the so-called Speaker Pelosi spoke out and said, literally suggesting the Speaker singling out her and her colleagues. And then AOC said, telling the Washington Post in an interview, that the persistent singling out of newly elected women of color by the Speaker may be more than outright disrespectful. What is she saying? Uh, Is she racist? Is that the implication here? By the way, interesting in light of the fact that Nancy Pelosi herself played the race card on the census question. Just, what, two days earlier. And AOC court did not rule in their favor because they said the administration did not give sufficient evidence as to why the uh, census uh, citizenship question should be there. So they kicked the can and then the administration said, "Okay, we won't put it on there. And then the president injected himself into this. But this is about keeping, you know, make America, you know, his hat, make America white again. They want to make sure that people, certain people, are counted. It's, it's really disgraceful. And it's not what our founders had in mind. It's not certain people. It's every person in the country is going to get counted, including those that might be here that we know are here illegally. You know, if you have, I, I, look, I think I speak for most people. I, I, I want America 
yeah, to be the land of opportunity. We just can't take the world's population. And I know there are countries in the world where you have to be build walls to keep them where they are. By the way, I'm looking at this. Oh, my gosh. This is Google Live. You see the numbers. Over 4 billion Google searches today. 4 billion, 170, wait, 4 billion, 174 million searches so far today. Wow. Internet users in the world, 4 billion, 277 million people as of today. Over 3 million, almost 4 million blog posts today. Twitter tweets today. You have 472 million tweets today. Now, these are powerful companies. Emails today, 161 billion. Now, I bet those mega data storage centers in Utah, they're pretty busy every day with they're capturing all of this stuff as well, has been suggested on this program. So anyways, to watch now Ocasio-Cortez being so defiant, and I love those people in the media saying Hannity is pushing a conspiracy theory again. He's saying that Nancy Pelosi is not the real speaker that there was somehow a change in power, but we don't know it because they're hiding it from us. Okay, for you stupid people in the media mob, when I say speaker in name only, I'm saying exactly what happened yesterday. And that is Nancy Pelosi tells Ocasio-Cortez, if you got something to say to me, say it to my face, not publicly, not on social media. And what happens? Ocasio-Cortez does what she's done every other time. She goes out, doubles down, and challenges Nancy's, quote, gavel. She's the real speaker of the House. Nancy Pelosi, speaker in name only. That's it. She's, and by the way, think about it. Speaker in name only. Well, this kind of proves the point. Is that if Ocasio-Cortez does not care one whit about what Nancy Pelosi says, that's my point. And who are all the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates listening to? Because they've all adopted some version of the new Green Deal. Well, they'd be listening to Ocasio-Cortez because it's not like Nancy Pelosi actually has any agenda whatsoever. I tell you this, I give Ocasio-Cortez high marks for one thing. She's pretty courageous. I love what she's, I love this. By the way, will she be courageous enough to ever do this show? All right, glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. I guess they printed out all of the citizenship census stuff without the question. Now it's a question of the president executive order to add like another page or another sheet. And uh, it's not looking good, which I think should be. I don't see anything wrong with asking the question and knowing who exactly is in this country. I don't know why that's even deemed controversial. I don't think I think every American knows fundamentally and instinctively it is in our character. It's in the, our our bloodstream. It's in our soul. It's in our solar plexus in that we are a nation of immigrants. We have people from over the entire globe coming to this country. Nobody has said that I have heard they want to end all immigration. I have not heard anybody say that. I've not heard anybody or would suggest, well, we're only going to take people from here, but not here. I've not heard that. What people are saying, though, is what we're asking, 
Because, look, if we opened up our doors tomorrow, probably half the world's population would want to come right over. We don't have the capacity to take in everybody that wants to be here. We're just asking that you respect our laws, our constitution, our borders, and our sovereignty, and that you follow the legal process, which, by the way, I would be in favor of expediting that process. I'd make a few suggestions. I would say I do like the idea of merit-based citizenship or merit-based immigration. It's the same system that Australia has, New Zealand has. Very difficult to get into those countries. And by the way, their, their prime ministers have been very firm on the issue of assimilation. You come to Australia, you're going to be an Australian. You're not going to tell us how we ought to change our way of life and, and, and their view of civil society and how they run things. So they've been pretty clear about that. And as far as illegal immigration, well, if you're going by boat, say, to Australia and they will meet you in the waters and they're going to give you food and they'll give you water and they're going to give you, if you need it, medical attention, they won't take you to the mainland. If you need real medical attention, they're going to take care of you. Then they're going to send you back in the boat and then tell you to go back to where you came from. They don't accept illegal immigration. Mexico, of all countries, I mean, it infuriated me because... They had some of the most draconian treatment of illegal immigrants. They'd throw you in jail for however long they wanted indefinitely at times, or they just throw you back, send you back immediately. You know, do not pass go. You're going back. No questions asked. And since the president did his things, anyway, I, I get it. We'll see what happens in the end here. But illegal immigrant population, you know, according to some surveys, is going to be 10%. We don't have the ability to absorb that. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN is our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of the program. I want to take a, a quick break here for a second in the sense that uh, we have now the southeastern United States all the way from, say, Houston through Florida. Now we have a, a forecast that looks pretty ominous it may even turn into, I guess, the season's first hurricane. Uh, we have weatherbell.com, the official meteorologist of the Sean Hannity Show, Joe Bastardi, standing by. What are the biggest, what's happening? When is it going to happen? New Orleans, I guess, is in jeopardy of at least tropical storm winds, maybe even 12 inches of rain or more. Uh, who's in jeopardy here? Well, New Orleans is the target that I'm most nervous about, and uh, we have a, uh, a situation that actually has been evolving for three or four months. The extremely cold winter in the northern plains, the record snow cover, the late snow melt combined with the enhanced precipitation in the plains means that the Mississippi River is uncommonly high around New Orleans. Now, if that situation did not occur, this is not that big a deal for New Orleans. They're going to get 60 to 70 mile an hour wind gusts, I think and uh, four to eight inches of rain, that's not that big a problem for New Orleans. They've had storms like that before. But because the Mississippi is so high and because the fetch off the ocean, and in, in, you folks in the Northeast know about what we call fetch, where there's days of east winds coming in, they pile the tide up. And what happens is that you're going to get winds strong from the east late tonight and tomorrow into the southeast on Saturday and south on Sunday. That's going to push water, try to push water up the Mississippi as it's raining very heavily and with the, uh, the rest of the Mississippi flowing down toward it. So the, the potential here is that out of a run-of-the-mill tropical storms because of pre-existing conditions, 
that New Orleans could have a bad flood. Now, right now, they are forecasting it to be to not breach the levees. One foot below is what they've got. Yesterday, they were a little bit higher. But I'm very concerned, especially looking at the U.S. hurricane models, which are, uh, you know, are emblematic of the problem we have in forecasting, that they're trying to blow the storm up and take it right over New Orleans. So there's a lot of uncertainty here. And what we are doing is the same thing we've been doing all week, is telling people that we believe this is going to come inland and it is a threat for New Orleans. Houston, I don't think you have to worry about much at all. So uh, that's that's a positive that this is not coming all the way back to Houston. Well, when we th- I, I'm trying to impact and absorb what you're saying about New Orleans because I know yeah. the level. I mean, we went through Hurricane Katrina. Now you're talking about what rising tide because of the rainfall. What if, if let's say it's 12 to 18 I mean, inches? Does that then yeah. breach the levees and that means it gets well, flooded? I- if they get 12 to 18 inches of rain over New Orleans with the uh, southerly winds, uh, southeast-south winds uh, blowing for two, two, three days, even with the storm going west of them, that is going to be a huge problem. Uh, but, but there's so much variance here. And, you know, uh, Sean, in our preseason forecast we issued in April, we said this is precisely the kind of storm to look for this year. May not be a lot coming off Africa, but the ones that pop in your backyard, you may see something pop. In our backyard, or relatively close, before this season's over, that's the kind of year it is. So, we, you know, we've sort of been waiting for this to start showing up, this kind of system. This didn't originate over the tropics. It came down out of the northwest. Alicia, by the way, for you folks in Texas in 1983, that was a Category 3 hurricane originated the same way. It was a land system that came down over the Gulf and turned west. So what we're telling people is this that there is a lot of potential in New Orleans for some real bad things to happen. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. In the best-case scenario, uh, I think the best case is being outlined now in that uh, it will stay below the levees and they're going to have a tropical storm. The hurricane part of this, because we do believe it will become a hurricane, will head off toward uh, Vermilion Bay and up over Lafayette to the west over there. But you, you've been down there before. You know how low-lying that land is how susceptible it is to flooding. So it is a headache. Well, you just, you know, I I just, in my own mind, would think after everything that New Orleans has been through, that they would have built the levees a little higher. Now, they got, listen, I got to tell you something. After Katrina hit, I wrote a paper called, you know, about why no matter what they do in New Orleans, the wrong storm is going to flood them. There's a storm in 1947, Sean, that came in from the east-southeast. It hit West Palm as a Category 4 or 5. was only a 1 or 2 when it came back to New Orleans. I look at that track, that, that track back where it makes landfall just north of the mouth of the Mississippi and pushes all the water back into Lake Bourne and Lake Pontchartrain. If you had a storm as strong as Katrina take that path into New Orleans, you know, they could build levees to 25, 30 feet. It's not going to stop it. Remember, Katrina... The storm surge was only nine to thirteen feet back into Pontchartrain. It's not like it's not like a kind of storm surge that they had in Biloxi and east at Gulfport. The biggest problem here, though, is caused by the Mississippi being so high, and you know, relative to averages in the summer season, it's not usually this high. And that particular aspect was set up two, three, four months ago. And in addition, it's exactly opposite 
of what was being pushed in the climate change event, uh, agenda that we were going to start seeing droughts all over the place. And uh, so it, it's amazing because you, you're seeing people come out of the woodwork. And, ah, here it is, climate change. This is a run-of-the-mill development in the northern Gulf of Mexico, compounded by the fact that instead of being so darn warm in the spring, it was wickedly cold in the plains. That set up the battle for heavy precipitation. You had late melting snow. And, it, you know, it's dangerously close to causing a big problem well, uh, with this tomorrow and Saturday. The official meteorologist of the Sean Hannity Show, he has weatherbell.com, uh, Joe Bastardi. He's got an encyclopedic knowledge of every storm every year that goes back to the <laughs> 1600s. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's about all I can do, though. <laughs> no, uh, well, you can lift weights pretty well. Uh, Joe's a big weightlifter and bodybuilder. Uh, all right, Joe Pistardi, thank you, my friend. 800-941-SEAN. All right, so you got it, this. We, we've got three separate civil wars breaking out. You got the deep state all turning on each other. And by that, I mean you got Strzok and Page. They're turning. Well, they might be turning on each other, interestingly. But uh, certainly they have united in pointing the finger at the attorney general, Loretta Lynch, at the time. Then you've got Comey. Comey's at war with Brennan and, and Clapper. And they're at war with him. Then Comey's battling McCabe. And then Baker's battling all of them. And I think the net result of it is people are starting to talk. And we're now getting finally to the deep dive part and the truth, which is going to be very interesting. Those that are held accountable for this abuse of power and corruption. Then you've got the Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, she accused Pelosi literally persistently singling out women of color. It's outright disrespectful coming on the heels of Nancy Pelosi playing the race card against the president and Republicans on the census question. Now, there is something that is happening with the 2020 leftist socialist. Now, they all agree pretty much on some version of the new Green Deal. They all agree that they want illegal immigrants to get free health care. They all agree that borders are immoral. They all agree on, on pretty much, they all want to raise taxes. They all want to raise taxes on businesses. Does anyone know that corporations pass the increase in taxes on to consumers? Or if you go to a 90% corporate marginal income tax rate, they're going to leave the country. And if you have any doubt of what I'm saying is true, ask yourself, why is New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California, the highest tax states in the country, why are they losing population to all the low tax states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, the Carolinas, wherever? Why? Because of burdensome taxation and regulation. Tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. We did. Now, now God forbid the rich leave. They're leaving. $2.3 billion shortfall in New York. By the way, Andrew Cuomo can get out of any financial difficulty in 30 seconds. Just sign off on fracking in upstate New York. Be the best thing he ever did for the state. I don't think he's going to do it. Anyway, so now we've got, so the leading pack in the field has certainly emerged. It still remains sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. Then you've got the worst mayor. Well, he's given Comrade de Blasio a run for his money, but, you know, you got Buddha Judge. Mayor Pete, who has the worst track record of a small town mayor I've ever heard. Not that South Bend, Indiana is small, but it is small. And it's a nice town. It's a home of Notre Dame. I mean, it's great. And you got Kamala Harris, 
who scored big points beating down Joe, but then pulling away. Remember, Harris says there's going to be no private insurance. We're all going to be under Medicare for all. Bernie Sanders bragging that he now has brought the entire Democratic Party over to his positions that are mainstream, the socialist mainstreamer. And then, of course, Elizabeth Warren. You know, combined, they raised $100 million in the past three months, and they share the majority of the public support. Anyway, so now you got Biden says, all right, let me change the topic. He's talking about foreign policy, the same guy that gave $150 billion to mullahs that chant death to America, death to Israel. You got Buttigieg proposing a broad plan to counter what he's calling racial inequality and establish a $10 billion fund for black entrepreneurs over five years, $25 billion in historic, for historically black colleges, legalize marijuana, expunge past drug convictions, reduce the prison population by half, and pass a new Voting Rights Act to empower, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, and comparing it to a Marshall Plan, and which is the equivalent of about $100 billion at current value. Then you got Kamala Harris. She decided to team up with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the housing legislation. And we don't have a price ticket on that. Then we have de Blasio saying, I'm going to pay, I'll pay female athletes equally if elected president. Well, um, okay, but I didn't know the government paid athletes. I thought teams paid athletes. I guess they'll determine that too. And by the way, New York is proposing building brand new jails with a more welcoming experience that will replace Rikers Island. They'll have jails with natural sunlight, space for programming, and a children's play area for the prisoners. And that's what they're proposing. And I'm not making this up. Somehow it's something to do with before 2008. As if my opponents want to believe I served from 1972 to 2008 and then took a hiatus <laughs> the next eight years. They don't want to talk much about my time as vice president of the United States. It was the honor of my lifetime to serve with the man who I believe is a great president, a historic figure, and most important to me, a close friend. I was vetted. I was vetted by he and 10 serious lawyers he appointed to go back and to look at every single thing in my background, from finances to anything I had done, everything. And he selected me. I'll take his judgment about my record, my character, my ability to handle a job over anyone else's. I know there are many who want this campaign to be about my past. My past, not theirs. My past. I get it. That's the game. But this isn't a game. Every one of you, no matter who you're for, know in your bones this election is different. Not because I'm running. This election is different. Here we are in Nashville. Um, I know this from my home state of Texas. Um, those places that formed the Confederacy, um, that this country was founded on white supremacy. And, and every single institution and structure that we have in our country still reflects the legacy uh, of slavery and segregation and Jim Crow um, and suppression, even in our democracy, the ability to vote and participate in our elections. All right, that was uh, Robert Francis Beto Bozo O'Rourke. Uh, glad you're with us, 800-941-SEAN. Before that, it was sleepy, creepy, crazy Uncle Joe. Uh, now, by the way, finally got his footing. 
it took him three weeks after the Kamala Harris beatdown, but now he's come up with a line and he's delivering it with such passion. Um, anyway, got a lot to get to. Um, a couple of things you got to know here. Oh, I forgot to mention, you know, Nancy Pelosi is giving illegal immigrants tips on how to evade ICE agents, which is kind of a new low. But sanctuary cities and states kind of do the same thing because you're aiding and abetting in criminal activity. But uh, anyway, in a press conference earlier today, after the real speaker, she's speaker in name only, Ocasio-Cortez, ripped her for pretty much being racist and going after only women of color. Anyway, press conference earlier today, Pelosi actually told the illegal immigrants they don't need to answer the door if ICE comes knocking because a deportation warrant is not the same as a search warrant. I mean, these are supposed to be lawmakers. Now, if you don't like the law, if you don't like the Constitution, you just can't make it up as you go. That's not how a civil society, a constitutional republic actually works. But I'm sure that that's just new news to her. She probably doesn't even know. Um, anyway, so we do have other sort of on the sidelines. We have some other data that has come in for crazy, creepy Uncle Joe. Remember, Biden and Obama left. And we had 13 million more Americans on food stamps, 8 million more in poverty. The worst recovery since the 40s. Lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. More debt than all 43 presidents and vice presidents before them combined. Okay. And they dropped $150 billion. These geniuses known as Biden-Obama, they $150 billion in cash and other currencies on the tarmac of Tehran for mullers that chant death to America. You know, could they convert or die leaders of Iran that have been sowing proxy wars, terrorism, funding terrorism for all these years? Yeah, that's a brilliant move on the part of creepy, sleepy, crazy Uncle Joe and uh, Obama. By the way, a military poll out by the Military Times shows veterans. Yeah, they overwhelmingly approve of the president that's not an appeaser. Wow. And by the way a near record in that particular poll. And on top of it, yeah, what is helping? The people that are doing the best. Heritage Foundation puts out a study and with the new unemployment numbers that came out, 224,000 jobs created in June. Unexpected, of course, like every other month, now that we're headed towards 7 million new jobs under Donald Trump and 7 million fewer people on on food stamps and on, on the unemployment lines. And, of course, now we know, too, from the census, that, in fact, there's 7.5 million jobs unfilled right now in the country. But just pointing it out that the people that benefited the most out of this climb and the economy of Donald Trump, when you actually look for it, it is, quote, the U.S. economy offers new opportunities to people who have historically been left behind. The left continues to push their radical agenda against American values. The good news is there is a solution. Average wages have grown above 3% now for 10 straight months, twice as fast as inflation. Since the tax cuts, the largest in history by Donald Trump in 2017, wage growth for the poorest 25% of Americans has now reached a post-recession high of 4.4%. Now, don't forget, 10% of American taxpayers pay 70% of the income tax bill. 20%, over 90%, the bottom 50% of wage earners pay no federal income taxes, none. 
Nothing. Not a penny. So we have full and complete redistribution. Now the question is, as the Democrats now begin to lay out their policies without specifics and without costs, and all of them support illegal immigrants, uh, yeah, health care, you're paying for it, and everything in between. Now they're aiding and abetting in sanctuary city states and everything else. Then you got creepy Uncle Joe now giving a foreign policy speech. He's the guy that helped the mullahs in Iran. Then you got Buttigieg proposing $100 billion in a plan to counter racial inequality. Then you got Kamala Harris, who says we're all going to be under Medicare for all and no private insurance. How did Obamacare keep your doctor plan and save money work out? It didn't. Then de Blasio, comrade de Blasio's pledging to pay female athletes equally to men. I didn't know that the city's mayor of New York was responsible for paying athletes for professional teams. I actually thought the free market determined what a team chooses to pay or not pay somebody. Anyway, here to look at the latest polls, where we are in this uh, 2020 election, John McLaughlin, Matt Towery are with us. Um, welcome back, both of you. And you're doing a great job in retirement, Matt, as I can tell, as you're, you come on every time we ask you, and you always have some good recent data to share but you're not working we'll just pretend you're telling the truth on that but at least i'm in atlanta today sean all right well good for you all right so here's here's the main question if you couple the new green deal if you add that to illegal immigrants health care being paid for and everything in between versus the trump economy do these polls even mean a single thing to you To me, absolutely not. Um, I I think right now we're in this time period where polling these various um, horse races between the various Democratic candidates or even between the Democrats and the president are relatively meaningless. I mean, we saw how quickly things shifted just from the debate where Kamala Harris managed to land that that blow to to Biden. And everything moved very quickly because, of course, the media moved it, it in that direction. Now we're seeing some of a little bit of this drifting back. Biden's up by 11 points on average in real clear politics. None of this really matters right now. But what does matter, Sean, and I think it's very important, is that the overall drift of the Democratic Party to the left, which was very obvious from that debate and all the fallout, I think that's assisting the president even more in his approval ratings. And if you recall about three weeks ago when we were on the air, I said I felt like in my gut that that the, the president had turned the corner and that his approval ratings were moving up. And we've seen that happen really accelerate after that, after that debate. Do you, th- do you see anybody, in your view, John McLaughlin, and I had this conversation when I was on vacation last week with a number of people, do you see Donald Trump losing any of the vote from 2016? And do you think with record low unemployment for the demographics such as African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, Asian-Americans, women in the youth uh, workforce and youth unemployment, do you see that he has the potential of gaining new voters? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, our strategy back in 2016, when the when then Donald Trump, the candidate, asked me how we were going to win, I said we were going to excite new voters, and we brought out 9 million new voters, and they had for a record historic turnout of 139 million, and we were able to defy the polls because we brought out new voters. You're going to have the same effect now. And we had 63 million voters come out and support him for president back in 2016. The strategy this time is very clear that we've been, as Matt has pointed out, we've been grinding up, moving up the president's job approval. 
So even these biased polls, like if you go on the Real Clear Politics average, you'll see all these polls and they'll have an average at 45 for job approval. And, and the liberals are freaking out because you'll have the Washington Post saying we've got 47 percent job approval and these other ones, but they're registered voters. So that's, an, that's a universe of 240 million people. You'll have, instead of 139 million people like we had in 2016, you'll have 100, over 140, maybe 150 million people come out. So the president is actually broadening his base as well as do you uh, see him losing uh, all the people that voted for him in 2016 let's focus on three states in particular because i think it'll make all the difference pennsylvania wisconsin and michigan of course north carolina ohio florida they always matter but in those three states do you see anybody that can take those states back for the democrats not in this group because as matt said and you've pointed out they're going left I mean, the best thing we had was that the last series of Democrat debates. I mean, the Trump campaign, I wanted to run them as an infomercial and just keep looping them and letting people play. I mean, that, 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 uh, the one question where, where the, the moderator asked the Democrats, would you, you know, do you support uh, free health care for illegal immigrants? And they all raised their hands. I mean, there's people out there in those states that you're talking about, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, they can't afford their own health care. And now you want to tax them? to pay for somebody who's here illegally? I mean, the Democrat Party is really going, that's the second part of our strategy, is let them go off to, on the edge no, of the let them, which, No, no, when they're digging a big hole, let them dig it. Uh, I, I do think that, that they're now locked into these positions that are so out of the mainstream, Matt Towery. How big an impact? Well, I think it's a huge impact. And, and to John's point, I mean, it, it, and I say the president's lucky to have someone like John advise him because he gets it. This has to do with why, why are you and, sucking up to John? I don't have to suck up to John anymore. I just have to. Oh, I know, because you're retired, <laughs> just like I'm retired. Keep going. <laughs> right. So anyway, he is lucky to have it. And, but, but that having been said, it's about turnout. And I think what's going to happen, Sean, and that there's been we talked about this before. I think that not only are you going to see an increase in intensity and turnout for the president, I think you're going to see, as they drift further to the left, and I think that's inevitable with this Democratic Party this time, you're going to see states that John and I are not even talking about right now that will drift more towards President Trump. I think, again, this is a Nixon-McGovern-type election scenario. I will put one little um, caveat there. The only states that I'm concerned about are the demographically challenged states, of which one of which I'm in today, which is Georgia. Uh, because a state like this has seen a shift in church, and just based on how people vote demographically, historically. Cobb County, which, of course, in our old days, Sean, when you and I were doing the Newt Gingrich thing, Cobb was 70 percent Republican. They would vote 65 to 70 percent Republican. It is likely to be a Democratic county this next go-around, which gives you some idea of the change in that. That is a dramatic shift. And I was there, I was there when the state of Georgia went blue to red. So oh, I mean, you you saw the whole thing. So now did most people expect, well, the majority of the of the legislative delegation, which I was a part of years ago as a Republican, is now Democrat in I, Cobb County. Yeah. All right. I so got to really I got to take a break more with Matt Towery and John McLaughlin, our pollsters. All right. As we roll along, Sean Hannity show our pollsters taking the polls. Every couple of weeks or so, Matt Towery, John McLaughlin. All right, if you had to guess now, today, John McLaughlin, what's the Democratic ticket? I, I think right now you're going to see a battle between uh, Harris and Warren for the nomination. 
A lot, there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. But in the past, remember, we talked about Biden. Biden has collapsed from May 9th from 41 percent in the peak of the real clear politics average, 14 points, where he's down, he, he's down to 27 percent on the average. And he's going to collapse even more because they're really picking on him. And there's been a secondary collapse. Sanders has gone from 24 percent back in March down to 15 percent now. And you've got Harris at 15 and Warren at 14. Six out of 10 Democrat primary voters happen to be women. And a good number of them happen to be African-American women. So you're about to see uh, this All big right. fight Let that's me, coming up. Matt, what do you think? we got about 45 seconds. Okay. I said uh, two months ago, Harris, I'm sticking with Harris. I think she'll probably be the nominee. Don't know who the running mate would be. I would agree that Warren would be right up there close, though, because she's a fighter. And I do think it'll be a woman who's a nominee. Uh, I'm going to agree right now, advantage Kamala Harris, but I think her extreme positions, when exposed, are going to prevent her from ever winning the presidency. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Um, um, and watch out, for, watch out for Buttigieg. What, you dis- who disagrees, John? No, but Buttigieg isn't going anywhere. No, I, I absolutely I can't disagree. And, and you know what? In the end, the winner is going to be Donald Trump. And we've been saying this for a while, and you've been saying it, Matt's been saying it. And now you're seeing it come about. And uh, we've got a long ways to go, but All the right. environment is there. Quick break. We'll come back. We'll continue. Your call's coming up. Twenty-five now to the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean is our toll-free telephone number. I like what has been going on most of the day here today. They had the free speech summit at the White House, which is. Oh, only- I thought you were referring to us and our hard work. Sorry. Okay, you're doing a great job. Uh, and now, why is this free speech summit? If if these big, massive tech companies, let, let's take Project Veritas and Google and the tape of James O'Keefe. If they have the ability to control the content of what they put up as news on their sites and they suppress other news and they they literally set algorithms again this is outside of my area of expertise i can barely download an app but i get it done somehow blair linda my kids somebody help me download an app um but if they could this is the biggest in-kind donation ever when you're talking about how many what was it every second six million plus people on google Damn boy, let me get you the right Damn number. boy, are we waiting for the New Yorker to Google it up? Go to Google. First of all, it's on Hannity.com. All, I'll be looking on Hannity.com. Hannity.com. Yeah, we did put the statistics up there. You're welcome. But every single time, every second of every minute of every hour of every day, if they're controlling the content well, and they're doing it to favor one political party, one ideology over another, that is an in-kind contribution. A massive one because of the number. All right, here it is. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm sorry, were you talking? Go ahead. (laughs) Google receives over 63,000 searches per second on any given day. Say that again. Google receives over 63,000 searches per second on any given day. Wow. That's a lot of searches. So the algorithm, this is why that Project Veritas tape was so good. It exposed... Their agenda. We all got screwed over in 2016. Again, it wasn't just us. It was like people got screwed over. The news media got screwed over. Like everybody got screwed over. So now we're rocking again. Like what happened there? How do we prevent it from happening again? 
Jen Janai is the head of responsible innovation at Google Global Affairs. She determines policy and ethics for machine learning or artificial intelligence. What we've learned is that AI is increasingly what Google Search is all about. The reason we launched our AI principles because people were not putting that line in the sand. They were not saying what is fair and what's equal. So we're like, well, we are a big company. We're going to say it. Where my definition of fairness and bias specifically talks about uh, historically marginalized communities, and that's what I care about. Communities who are communities who are in power and have traditionally been in power are not who I'm solving fairness for. Our definition of fairness Fairness is a dog whistle. It does not mean what you think that it means, and you have to apply double think in order to understand what they're really saying. And what they're really saying about fairness is that they have to manipulate their search results so that it gives them their political agenda that they want. And so they have to rebias their algorithms so that they can uh, they can get their agenda across. You know, to unpack everything that she's saying, saying that she wants to be, she wants the algorithm to be fair to a, a, a hand-picked representative of that community means that what she's trying to do is she's trying to sell you a product that is not objectionable. What she's trying to do is she's trying to sell a product that's not objective, that doesn't represent the will of its users, but instead represents the will of a, of a, of a group of people making decisions behind the shadows. So what did you find inside Google that was related to this idea of fairness? What I found at Google related to fairness was a machine learning algorithm called ML Fairness, ML standing for machine learning. And fairness, meaning whatever it is that they want to define as fair, you could actually think of fairness as unfair because it's um, taking as input the clicks that people are making and then figuring out which signals are being generated from those clicks and which signals it wants to amplify and then also damage. Project Veritas also received a trove of confidential documents from within Google. This document is about algorithmic unfairness. It reads, quote, for example, imagine that a Google image query for CEOs shows predominantly men. Even if it were a factually accurate representation of the world, it would be algorithmic unfairness, unquote. Gaurav Gite, a Google software engineer, independently verified the thesis of this document. But then there are teams uh, which are called ML Fairness. ML Fairness, the teams? Fairness, like, yeah. you know, you need to be fair. Yeah. So they are trying to modify the model such that even if the data for a female CEO is low, it kind of balances out. It still balances out. Now, this is a, a confidential document, correct? Yes. It's not a document that Google has come out and admitted uh, that this is their process. That's correct. Um, and in this in this document, it says, I'm going to read from it. In fact, in fact, if you brought this up without the document, they would say that this is a conspiracy theory. Wow. So then they wouldn't admit this publicly. They would never admit this publicly. 
In, in this document, it says, in some cases, it may be appropriate to take no action if the system accurately affects current reality, while in other cases, it may be desirable to consider how we might help society reach a more fair and equitable state via product intervention. What do they mean by that? So what they want to do is they want to act as gatekeepers between the user and the content that they're trying to access. And so they're going to come in, they're going to filter the content, and they're going to say, oh, actually, we don't want to give the user access to that information because it's going to create a, a, an outcome that's undesirable to us. Does Google have an editorial agenda? Uh, does the company make news decisions? Is that what I'm seeing in this document? Yes. Um, this is describing what's happening with, the, with, the, with Google News. Would Google have a problem if people saw this document? Yeah, I think so. Why wouldn't Google want people to see this document? Uh, the reason why is because um, right here, um, in uh, some of these boxes, they're applying um, editorial, uh, their, their editorial agenda onto uh, the news sources. And if you were to expand that, you would see that there's a machine learning uh, fairness within these uh, algorithmic checks. And they state right here that it's for crawlability and extractability, but in reality, it's, it's, it's does it fall in line with their, um, with their agenda. And if it does, it, it pops to the top, and if it doesn't, then it gets buried. Google's really thinking, and they won't say in public, but she just said, you know, what a lot of us see and know to be true. And you guys just got her and she was just, she just said the truth. They're not objective piece. They're not an objective source of information. They are a highly biased political machine um, that is bent on never letting somebody like Donald Trump come to power again. But 2020 is certainly on top of now my old organization, Trust and Safety, is top of mind. They've been working on it since 2016 to make sure we're ready for 2020. So training our algorithms, like if 2016 happened again, would we have, would the outcome be different? Pretty unbelievable. All right, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Actually, you know what, before we do that. Oh, boy. I think that we should. <laughs> no, this is a good thing. I think we should remind the audience of what well, James O'Keefe discovered. You know, just a little bit, not like a lot. I'm not going to take away from the callers. I'm just I, saying. Can I just say something? Your you your accent gets thicker. It doesn't get better. It gets thicker. Oh, should I talk say, like you? Golf. Say, say golf. Golf. Say golf the way you say it. I say golf, and I want to have a golf, golf off. Golf. Pork. I'm calling it a golf Go off. Isn't that what you call it in sports? A golf you, uh... off. No, there's no such thing as a golf off. No, no, it isn't. No. There's no such thing as a golf off. No, but isn't there a thing in sports for you? How many There's masters? There's a dance-off. Oh, you know what? That is what I'm thinking of. Ethan's right. I love dancing. Let's do that, Sean. Let's out-dance each other. Uh, no, because I've already been... For charity. I was, I've already been humiliated Actually, out with you at the okay. Redneck Riviera Bar. First of bar. all, you weren't humiliated. You were revered. They were like, oh, my God, Sean actually has a friend that can shake it. Oh, thank you. No, God. that's not what it was at all. So we're there with our entire crew, and what was... Audience knows the story, and they're on my side. Okay. Just spare what, what, yourself. What were we there for? We were there for... Everybody was there. We were there. there for a very somber... Stangy... Oh, that's right. I remember. Okay. So, did, did you want me to finish? Yes, you, finish. Okay. No, please take it. It's your no, show. No, no, no. You By go. all means. I don't no, want to no, interrupt. No, no. Why would I? Why would I love being interrupted? Go ahead. Interrupt me. So, anywho, we were out there for a very somber event, which was the one-year anniversary of the deadly shooting in Las Vegas for all of those folks that went to the country music festival. And John Rich came out there, big and rich, and um, 
we had this amazing sort of like charity event. It was like a tribute and it was really beautiful. But afterwards, uh, John Rich has a Redneck Riviera Whiskey Bar right. on Strip. So him and Kenny got up and they actually did a very impromptu set. It was fantastic. Sound system there is spot on. And so, you know, I decided to uh, take where the rhythm moved me, which was the dance floor with many other people. The only difference was all of you and the rest of your staff were too uh, stiff and too incapable to join me. So I had to dance with strangers, which was fine. Okay. It was a little weird and Blair and I saw this and we're like, look at him. Then Stanger was there and sweet baby James was there. And everybody's looking and like she's dancing on the dance floor by herself. Oh, yeah. And then Finland, I danced too. Remember? Oh, I remember that. And I remember Blair the- saw me in Finland. He didn't see me in Vegas. But John Rich saw me in Vegas. And John Rich gave me a big old thumbs up. Well, no, you he think he was on the stage playing with Big Kenny. And I don't think he saw you in the crowd. Uh, the lights first of all. I got a major shout out from the stage. He was like, Linda from Hannity in the house. What, what? Yeah, okay, whatever. And yeah, I remember, that happened. I remember me saying, sweet baby James, it. and everybody else like, oh my God, this is so weird. Oh my God, weird. we're going to hold up the wall. It can't do it on its own. That's exactly, that's what I'm doing. All right, let, right. Me, let me get to the phones. We'll say hi to Jerry in Missouri. How are you, Missouri? Uh, just kidding. How are you, Jerry? What's going on? Oh, pretty is. Sounds like you guys have fun when you're not working. I'll make this fast. I am so tired of the double standards that both sides are practicing in regard to the Epstein matter. If Secretary Acosta is going to face consequences, and maybe he should, then so should the Clintons because they were even they well, were Clinton was there of him. Well, I mean, 26 times on the Lolita Express, and by all accounts, on most of those trips, you have these young girls. You know, I was talking to somebody, I forget who yesterday, and and I don't know what was going on, but I'm like, I'm sorry, there's too much smoke here. And I have sirens blaring all over my mind about all of this, but, you know, one of the things that Alexander Acosta said, and I I didn't really think about this last night. Pam Bondi was on and she made the observation that she has tried a lot of these sex crime cases there. I mean, these these are there are these predator pedophiles out there. And remember, remember to catch a, a criminal. Remember that show that went on? They would catch all the pedophiles and it was actually to the catch a predator to catch a predator. All right. So I would watch these things. I mean, it's so disgusting what they do. And how they literally, they're they're predators, they're out there, and they are trying to lure teenage kids to have sex with them. In other words, they are the embodiment of evil. You know, look at the hierarchy in prison. You could be the worst murderer, and and you'll, you'll get along with the prison population. If you're a predator pedophile, they don't want, they even have a line that you don't cross. And I'm talking about the worst criminals. But... What Pam was saying and what Acosta was revealing and saying is that the lenient deal happened because a lot of the accusers were refusing. And by the way, I'm not judging the accusers. If you come out and you make an allegation and you got to be cross-examined and you're 14 years old with braces, as the Daily Mail article pointed out in one case, um, and those defense attorneys are going right at you. I don't know. that. I mean, now you have to relive the trauma again and again and again. I, I don't know if a kid doesn't want to do that. You can't blame them. And I 
all but two apparently refused to testify, uh, according to former prosecutor Solomon Weisberg. Uh, he was on Fox News last night with Laura. And based on allegations from two of the accusers, it was not a slam dunk, especially since, according to reports, that, you know, there were people willing to testify that, oh, he was actually a great guy. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a little more complicated, but I'll tell you this. My gut, my siren, my instinct is it's reeling in my head. 